Strong Tower, I want to commend you this morning for dealing with a little bit of adversity. And pressing through a little bit of adversity this morning. Um, the heater was turned on yesterday, but it didn't get the memo to work today. <laughs> but the children have heat down the hallway, so praise God for that. Uh, it's an old building with some old machines. Uh, we just paid about $700 to have it repaired. And, uh, but we're going to have to call them folk back and say, hey, I need a refund or something. But thank you for pressing through. Uh, you know, you can't really worship God without there being some level of sacrifice. If it's not sacrifice somewhere, it's not true worship. And as I thought about Standing Rock and what y'all went through out there, I think it's a little bit warmer here than it was there, right? But you were there because you believed in what you were standing for, for your people. And we believe in who stood for us and why we've come to worship him. So again, I just want to commend you. And uh, Lord willing, it'll be straight next week. It'll be fixed. Brother Jerry is on top of these things. Uh, he had to dash home because his youngest daughter wasn't feeling well. So we want to keep them in our prayers. And just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, oh, and by the way, Elder Tyler, I love you, man. I love you, man. Oh, can, can I keep it real just for one second, Strong Tower? Y'all know I'm going to do it anyway. To do this diverse church thing, it takes us being real. And for me, Tyler, you and other Caucasian believers in Christ add legitimacy to the kingdom message that we're living for here as far as the, the, the blessedness of community, diverse community. And when you get up and you say the things that you say, um, some people will hear you who may not hear me. And I'm just so proud to be a co-laborer in the kingdom of God with you. And I can listen to you talk all day. You, you give some of the best offering talks, all the elders, man, but boy, I love you, man. You are my dude. And last week, um, last Thursday, I spent all day with Leadership Nashville. Um, many of you know that I'm a part of that for this year. I'm part of the 2017 class. And this past Thursday, we get together once a month. And this past Thursday, the focus was on the business community. So we went to various businesses and had talks. I mean, it was all day long. It was great. And at the end of the day, we get together and we have a caucus. And within this group of people, there are about 50 of us, and I'm the only preacher in the group. I'm not the only Christian, but there are not many Christians in the group. And um, there was a man, I believe his religious persuasion is Hindu. And as we uh, got together and we discussed many of the things we saw, we talked to people with the Predators and the Titans, and we talked to people in various parts of the business world, the country music industry. I mean, we had a great time. But we also deal with problems and things that weren't said, things that weren't addressed. And this man of Hindu persuasion said, it seems like every meeting we have, whether we're dealing with education or whether we're dealing with business, uh, next month will be diversity, uh, then we'll deal with the arts. He says, it just seems like no matter what we do, we keep coming back to three things, a division between races, class, and gender. 
He says, we keep coming back to that whenever we talk about a problem. And I sat there and I said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be a part of a church. We don't have all the answers. But as you said, we're just one platoon in the kingdom of God. And you've given us a unique vision to try to bring together people around Jesus from different races, classes, and gender. And so praise God. So, so I sat there, I said, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a small part of the, of the solution that's needed today. And we apologize that we had to cancel uh, yesterday's uh, video. Uh, we, we were going to watch the documentary 13 to talk about the 13th Amendment and how it seemed that uh, we went from slavery into the penal system. And we've been struggling with that uh, systemic injustice ever since. We were going to look at that. But uh, based on what happened on Friday, we wanted to be safe and cancel, so we will uh, reschedule that. Um, just so you know, um, going forward, like especially during the week for Wednesday night activities that begin next month in February, I'll say something about that briefly. But whenever Davidson County schools cancel during the day on a Wednesday, we're gonna be canceled that night. So for anything with inclement weather, so if you're wondering if you don't get the message or you're not on Twitter or Facebook, uh, but when the schools cancel, we cancel as a means to be uh, safe. Um, and then with other times, like with Sunday mornings, um, I will try not to ever cancel a Sunday morning, but we do want uh, you to be safe, to make sure the parking lots are clear in case there's ice and snow. Uh, and in those cases, we'll send out emails and we'll be on social media and things like that. But um, our discipleship hour begins on February 5th, which will be next month, Sunday at 9 o'clock, February 5th. We'll have a men's class and a women's class. We'll have a student's class and, of course, our children's ministry. So that gets geared back up on February 5th and it will run through Sunday, April 30th. And then we'll take a short break in May and get picked back up in June again. So for, for those who may not know, discipleship hour is Sunday school. And then secondly, our huddle groups will begin February 1st, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, and that will go through April 26th. And this uh, term, we're adding Bible study. So we're going to alternate huddle groups and Bible study. Huddle groups and Bible study. And yours truly will lead the Bible study. So... Um, We'll have good time. We'll have potluck as far as bringing food together. We'll be together in our small groups one week, and then we'll study the word uh, the next week. Uh, and then uh, I also want to let you know that uh, we've got some great outreach events happening because that's really one of the things that shows that the church is alive, not only looking at the number of children that God blesses us with, but also our uh, intentionality to not be inward-focused. We, we can't just gaze at our navels and complain about what our world is. We got to, as Elder said, reach out to people who do not have the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And so this Tuesday, our men's ministry uh, will be serving the Overton boys basketball team. Um, Brother Isaiah was approached or he came to uh, uh, Brother Jerry and said, hey, there's a need. And the boys basketball team could use someone to come in and lead chapel services and even provide sandwiches and drinks before games. And what a great opportunity that they came to the church for that. So we'll be praying. We have guys, I believe Brother Clifton uh, Robinson, who stepped out to work with the children, is going to share uh, this first week with the young men. So I love stuff like this, man. You don't know whose life will be changed by just showing up. And, just, and I think Kathleen said it, when you just show up, God will do the rest. The best ability is availability, and he can use any of us if we allow him. 
And then we have a Super Bowl outreach that's coming. Uh, it's going to be a rap concert, a Christian rap concert. So we're going to move the chairs back, which is one of the reasons we wanted to get rid of the pews so we could be flexible. So we got this dude named Fizzle coming. And uh, Fizzle, my nizzle, he going to rock that. So we want to invite these kids from Overton, invite the kids from J.T. Moore, invite the kids from Hillwood and all the schools, and uh, let them come on out, hear some good music, but also hear an evangelistic appeal to come to Christ. And, uh, and then we'll do Super Bowl Sunday. We'll all wear jerseys and all that kind of stuff. Um, I won't even talk about football right now. Still grieving the Titans. We were so close, but yet so far. And uh, again, speaking of outreach, if you haven't found a place to serve, we still need help with J.T. Moore. Um, we'll be on the door. I'll be on the door this Thursday. I love greeting the kids when they come into school. Just as important, I was telling Erica this morning, we had a upreach gathering meeting to, to meet with the leaders who help with upreach. And we were talking about how important it is that when people come through the doors, they feel love. Someone greets them and blesses them. And the same is true when these students come into the school. You don't know what they came out of to come to school. And it just may take a, a hello or stopping by the cafeteria sitting with them at their tables or helping as a tutor, um, their needs. And as far as our volunteers, we've had a lot of changes, but we need more help with JT Moore. Is that right, Lasagna? So if you would like to help, um, there are many areas that you can serve. Our trailer still goes up. Uh, is it every week or every other week? Every other week, um, through the clothes that you donate and the money you donate, we're still able to help clothe children and make sure that they have the ample school supplies and everything they need to go to school and do all that they can do to be the best that they can be. So uh, upreach, inreach, outreach, praise God. All right, now it's time for the word of God, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Also, the elders have a retreat this month. Great things are happening. We got a couple of old elders rolling off and a couple of new elders rolling on. So we'll tell you about that uh, in days to come. A lot of life, a lot of life. It ain't that cold in here. I can see smoke coming out of my mouth, but that's all right. That's nothing but the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, yeah. Genesis chapter 50. Let's pray. Yeah, we're only standing here because you made a way. Lord, I thank you that we could begin today just uttering how your mercy endures forever, that you did not give us what our sins deserve. You gave us grace. You gave us love. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. There is no God like you. And we praise you and we worship you. We come to your word now. We thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who teaches us the things of God that we have an anointing from him who can teach us things that no man can teach us. So Lord, my sermon notes are one thing, but the voice of the spirit is something completely different. Lord, would you speak today to each heart and may we leave out with our heads lifted up, lifted up to see the Lord who is coming. Hosanna, blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. Encourage your people today through the word of God, for it's in your name that I pray. Amen. From 1965 to 1973, Admiral Jim Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. His plane was shot down and he became a POW. 
Now, when he became a POW, the conditions were so bad that what the Vietnamese would do is that they would try to stage uh, to the world that was watching that the American prisoners were treated well. But in reality, they were not treated well. So what this admiral would do, rather than allow them to pimp him and use him to try to present to the world that the American prisoners of war in Vietnam are being taken care of properly, he would intentionally and deliberately disfigure himself. What I mean by that is he would cut his face, he would even pound his face on a stool so that they would not be able to use him for propaganda purposes to try to present a picture to the world that they're taking care of Americans when in reality they weren't. So needless to say, they never chose him for those video moments. But through his leadership, the other prisoners of war who were there with him also gained courage. And he even developed a way for the prisoners to communicate through a form of Norse code. He even, when he would write his wife letters, he would encrypt certain uh, 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 secret messages in the letter to let his wife know how the soldiers were doing. And so this went on. He was a prisoner of war for eight years. He was tortured 21 times, 21 times in eight years. And there were no prisoners' rights. And there was no hope of a release date that had been given to him and the other prisoners. Um, and so they suffered, but he was able to survive. And he not only survived, but he looked back at that point in his life of being in prison for eight years to say that that was a tremendous turning point in his life. And he was thankful for that season of being separated from his family, not knowing when he would see them again, of being tortured, and all kinds of inhumane things that went down. He said, I not only survived, but I am thankful for that season. So when someone was interviewing the admiral one day, they said, now, um, who were the people who didn't make it? Because you made it. Who were the ones who didn't make it? And the admiral said, that's easy. The optimists didn't make it. The optimists didn't make it. What do you mean? Well, the optimists were the people who would say, we're going to get out at Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go. And then they would feel sad. Then they would say, we're going to get out by Easter. Then Easter would come and go and they didn't get out by Easter. Then the optimists would say, we're going to get out by Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving would come. And Thanksgiving would go and they wouldn't get out. And, and after the optimists would do this for a couple of years, they would end up dying of a broken heart. And so they asked the admiral, well, what makes you different from an optimist? Well, he said, I knew that I was getting out. I just didn't set a date on it. And so there came this thing that was developed called the Stockdale Paradox. And this is found in the book, From Good to Great. And the Stockdale Paradox is this. You confront and even accept the brutal facts of your current reality. That's one side of the paradox. You accept and even confront the brutal facts of your reality. In other words, you're not living in denial. You're not acting so spiritual that you don't feel the pain. But then the other side of the paradox is not only must you confront and accept the brutal facts of your current reality, but you must also have unwavering faith that you will prevail in the end. 
And so the current reality, but an unwavering faith that we will prevail. So there was this focus on the end of the story that the admiral never lost hope in. And that's why he was able to survive and not only survive, but say that that moment of being a prisoner of war for eight years was a defining moment in my life. And businesses use this Stockdale paradox because the businesses that go from good to being great are ones who not only survive, but they're thankful for their downtimes and how they're able to rebuild and, 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 and recalculate and get back to their feet and then some. Well, none of us are strangers to pain. Whether you are a POW or you are a young man or a young woman or an older person, none of us are strangers to pain. The question is, how are we going to allow the pain to produce, as Jules said, more Christ-likeness in us, whereby we are being conformed to the one who endured so much hostility against sinners to save us? How can we learn how to work with pain so that pain can produce something in us that looks more like Jesus? None of us are strangers to pain, especially pain inflicted on us by others. We've all been hurt by other people. But before we jump on the I am a victim bandwagon and ride off, not into the sunset, but into the fog, let us be mindful of the fact that we have hurt other people ourselves. The old adage is true. Hurt people hurt people. And being hurt doesn't give you or me the right to hurt other people. And many times the people who are hurting us are hurting us because they're acting out of a wound of hurt in their own lives. And we have to decide to not allow that uh, uh, um, behavior to be perpetual that we have to stop it and say, you know what? Yes, I have been hurt, but I've been practicing spiritual judo. And spiritual judo is when a force comes upon you that is stronger and greater than you are. You just don't absorb it. You learn how to shift your weight and throw it. And the Bible says we are to cast our cares on the Lord. We're not to absorb the cares. We're not to absorb the hurt and make it our identity. But we need to learn how to shift it and cast it on the one who is strong enough to bear it. And we definitely don't want to take the hurt and pass the hurt on to someone else. But forgive us, Lord, when we do that. But whether people have hurt us or if we have hurt other people, the God we serve is able to bring something good out of the pain. You know, I've heard about people who are chicken connoisseurs. And a chicken connoisseur, I happen to be one. Um, when we eat, we, we don't really like tenders and stuff. That, that stuff, we, we like chicken that's got bones on it. And some of us come from places where you not only ate the meat, but help me out, somebody, you also ate the bone. We, we would call it gristle to make yourself feel better about it, but we would eat the chicken and the bone. And, and, and we developed this kind of thing in life where it says, you know, man, look, I know life is tough, but eat the chicken and throw out the bones, you know. Don't worry about that bad stuff. But with God, God not only is able to use the meat, God can use the bone and the grit. He don't throw nothing out. He uses it all to uh, uh, conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He can bring something good 
out of the meat and the bone, out of the pain, if we let him. You see, since the God we serve, not, not if the God we serve, but since the God we serve is real, can I get a witness that God is real? He's real, he's real. Not if he's real, since he's real, and since his word is true, he will somehow redeem, we just sang it, don't know how, but you did it. He will somehow redeem the pain in our lives and use it for his glory and then for our good. Somehow he will use the pain in our lives for his glory and for our good and he will even bless other people through our pain if we let him. But the question is, will we trust him while we wait on him? This man had to wait eight years in prison and in the midst of all of that pain, People saw how he was dealing with the pain and the other prisoners got hope because the admiral just didn't have some stuff on his shoulders making him the leader. No, he showed how to be a leader in the midst of suffering. And it transformed that prison camp into an oasis of hope and encouragement. And that man got through that pain. Now here's the thing. While we're waiting on God, for some of us, we've been waiting eight years. We've been waiting eight months. We've been waiting eight days for him to transform the pain from our childhood because maybe someone molested us and, and man, that hurt us and that has show, so shaped our future that, man, we are struggling with this thing because an uncle took advantage of us or a wife abused a husband. I was speaking to a man in my cohort on Thursday from Leadership Nashville. And he told me how um, he was divorced. And I assume from spending time with him that he's an unbeliever. And he told me how his ex-wife beat him up and how he was a victim of physical abuse from his ex-wife. And he says, you know, that doesn't really get talked about a lot. It's usually about how men beat up women, but there are women who physically abuse men. And he says, and I was one of them. And so there's a lot of pain out here. We all have pain in our lives. And while we're waiting on God, he is working on us. While we're waiting on him to bring the deliverance, he's working on us. And no other story in the Bible illustrates this kind of reality like the story of Joseph. Where something was done to him, but he didn't allow that to be his identity for his life. As a matter of fact, he was able to see God's hand in the midst of the pain where he said to his brothers, you may have uh, uh, thrown me into this pit, but God brought me here so that many lives can be saved. You may have sold me into slavery, but God sent me here. He was able to do spiritual judo on the pain that was inflicted on him. He cast it so that he could be able to stand and then turn around and help those who had hurt him. And that's how we know that we're healing. That's how we know we're walking in victory where you will not be a victim. You will walk in victory and you will bless those who have cursed you. And you will help those who put you down. And so we see this demonstrated in the life of Joseph. And this is just one of those great unsung stories. So today, let's talk about unsung Bible stories. The pain and promotion of Joseph. The pain and the promotion of Joseph. So his story starts off in Genesis 37 and goes on through Genesis 50. So here's a quick summary 
of his life. And I pray again that when we talk about these stories, that it will stimulate you and motivate you to say, I want to read my Bible. I'm not just going to pick my Bible up on Sundays before church and bring it to church. No, I'm going to pick my Bible up on Sundays after church and on Mondays and on Tuesdays. I'm going to read my Bible or look at the Bible on my electronic device because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and God has a word for you. And his word for you will even go beyond the word that comes from me to you on Sunday mornings. Give him an opportunity to talk to you, and it will change your life. So here's a quick thumbnail of his life about Brother Joseph. Jacob, his father, whose name was also Israel, had 12 sons from four wives. Don't try that at home. Uh, he had 12 sons. And Joseph was um, the son that he was most proud of, if you will. Because Joseph was the son who was born in his old age. And Joseph was the son who was born to the woman that he loved. He loved Rachel. He tolerated Leah. And then he had the other two concubines, Bilhah and Zilpha. But he really loved himself some Rachel. Rachel couldn't bear children. But when she finally could bear a child, it was Joseph. Joseph came in his old age and from the woman that he loved. Side note, Leah kept giving uh, 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 Jacob children, hoping that Jacob would love her more. Ladies, you can give that man a bunch of children, but if he don't love you, he don't love you. I, that, I just set that over there for free. Don't do that. Don't you give yourself away. If I give him a baby, he's going to love me, he's going to marry me. That ain't always the case. And if he does marry you, oh, I'm going to leave that alone. I, I could, uh, let me just come right back over here. Help me, Holy Ghost. Mm. So what happened was, in the patriarch family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're about to hit the story of Joseph, there was dysfunction in their family. Because whenever you have preferential treatment towards one of your children over the others, you're going to start a problem in that family. So as a parent or as parents, we've got to know how to equally distribute the love and the attention and the affection and even the discipline to all of the children so that no child feels like they are better than the other ones. But Joseph said, uh, this is my favorite son so much so I'm going to make him a tunic a coat of, of colors and, and all of that. Now, all the other 11 brothers are like, where's our coat? You're going to breed envy in the family if you do for one and don't do for all. And so there was problems in the family. And because of that, Joseph's brothers, the Bible said, hated him. Reuben, Simeon, Dan, Naphtali, Zebulun, they all hated Joseph because he was their dad's favorite. So at 17 years old, Joseph went out to check on his brothers and saw that they weren't working in the field. And he came back to Jacob and gave Jacob a bad report about the brothers, which intensified and increased their hatred towards him and even the envy they had against him. So one day he's going out because father sent him out. Go and bring back word to me about how your brothers are. In other words, you be the tattletale and tell me what they are or are not doing. Again, dysfunction in the home when a parent does that. 
when one child is the informant. No, 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 you're going to get that child that's the informant beat down by the, but when, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> and that's what happened with Joseph. They knew he was the informant. And so when they saw him coming from a distance, they said, look, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and see what happens of his dreams. Well, what's up with the dreams? Well, Joseph would have these dreams as a young man. And he said, you know what? I had this dream that all of you brothers were bowing down to me. Again, that's not going to help the community and the connection in the family. <laughs> then he had another dream that not only would the brothers bow down, but mom and dad would bow down as well. And so they're like, oh, he's bugging. So when they saw him coming, they're like, here come the dreamer. Let's kill him. And you know you're in a bad place when your biological brothers want to take you out. But that's the disease of envy and hatred, that it can have you doing those kinds of things. And so when he rolled up on him, on the 11, rather, um, they stripped him and cast him into a pit. Because Reuben, the oldest son, said, let's not kill him, but let's go ahead and throw him into the pit. And so they threw him into the pit, and Reuben's plan was, I'll come back and get him out of the pit when the other brothers aren't around. Because the other brothers said, okay, we won't kill him, but we'll at least sell him and make a few dollars off of him. And so the Bible says that while Joseph was in the pit, the brothers sat down to eat. Now, you know you are a cold-hearted group. You throw your brother in a pit, and he's probably crying, help, get me out of here. I'm sorry, guys, help me out. And they're like, man, pass the butter, pass the gravy. Their hearts had gone downhill. Hatred had poisoned their objectivity. And so, again, Reuben's plan was to come back and get him out. But while Reuben was away, they sold him to some Ishmaelites who was heading down into Egypt. And they got 20 shekels of silver for their brother. And then they decided to stage his death by taking his coat and ripping it up and dipping it in lamb's blood to take back to Jacob and say that a beast killed your son. So they went from, we will kill him, to okay, we'll sell him, and now we'll even lie to our father about what we did. Their hearts had just gone way downhill. And so Joseph, pretty much innocent, but not completely, because I'm sure he knew how he got on his brother's nerves. But getting on your brother's nerves does not warrant them throwing you into a pit like that. But nevertheless, he's in a pit. They take him out of the pit. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, and he's headed down to Egypt, where in Egypt he is sold to Potiphar. And, and, and let me just say this because I love stuff like this. Oh, I love stuff like this. You've got the Hebrews and the Egyptians. And somehow, during that time of world history, their appearance was very similar because Moses could later spend time in Egypt and look like an Egyptian. Even Paul, later in the New Testament, was mistaken for an Egyptian. Pastor Chris, what are you saying? I'm saying that the, first folks, the, the folks in the early days of the Bible, they were darker in complexion. The Egyptians did not look like Elizabeth Taylor. Because this brother's going to live amongst the Egyptians. And when his brothers show up later, 
he's going to look just like an Egyptian because there wasn't much difference between how the Hebrews looked and the original Egyptians looked. Again, another one I just put in for free. Just, just, Just hold on. Just hold on. This is going somewhere. So he is down in Egypt land, and Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard, buys Joseph the Hebrew. And the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. I just want to say that to you. Somebody did something wrong to you. Somebody in your own family, your father, your mother, somebody did something to you. And you feel like the Lord, if he was God, he wouldn't have let it happen. And there are people who've turned their backs on God because God allowed so much pain and suffering in their lives. And I'm here to let you know that God is with you even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of suffering and death. He's not going to leave you. Matter of fact, he's going to use it if you will let him for his glory and for your good if you'll learn obedience through all of this suffering you're going through. The Lord was with Joseph. He didn't forget Joseph. There was a plan in the pain. So then he's working in Potiphar's house. Favor is all on this man of God. So much so that they give him a position where, again, he is the chief steward over the house. A slave. But they see the hand of God. The favor of God was on him. And not only was the favor of God on him, the Bible says, it was kind of like a description of myself. It says that he was good looking and, you know, well built. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for that pride. Uh, Bible says, brother, look good. And guess who saw that anointing and them chest muscles? Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar, fellas. <laughs> oh, my. I'm sure she looked good and had all this power and money and all of that. And she says to this slave boy, come on and sleep with me. Come on and lie with me. Uh, the children have been dismissed, right? The ch- but the teenagers are still in here. That's good. It's hard to turn down. Free. Uh, no, don't go down that way. <laughs> it's hard to say no when somebody's throwing the... No, no, just... when it's not just given to you but when it's given to you and you're in a land that your father ain't there your mother isn't there it seemed like God has forsaken you he could have said God uh, you owe me on this and I'm going to have to take this I'm a young man but no he was a man of God and he said to her I am over everything in this house except you And the Bible says he refused in his heart. Oh, he said, I'm not going to do this with you. And the Bible says she came at him day after day after day. So how many of y'all know that you just can't say no one time to the devil? You got to say no every day. And even then, he going to try another way to get you. So I pray for our single men. I pray for our married men because women like this are out there. And they will reduce your life to a piece of bread if you let them. But he said, no. So you know what happened? She frames him. Because one day he's in the house doing his work. You know, cleaning up, dusting and everything. And he look around and all the dudes are gone. It's a setup. 
So all the other servants have been put out and she set it up where he would be in the house by himself. And she grabbed him and said, come on, I've been talking to you. Now I'm going to touch you. And that brother said, uh-uh. And he ran, he got away, so he left his clothes. With, he got up out of, and she, all she had was his robe. And then he was running down the street. I hope he had something on under that robe, but he was gone. <laughs> and like she does, husband comes home, and she says, this man you brought in here, this slave, this Hebrew, uh, he tried to take advantage of me. And Potiphar gets mad. But I bet all the other servants are sitting around saying, yeah, right. Because she did the same thing with us when we first got here. And she tried to break him in, but there was something different about him. And so the Potiphar throws Joseph in jail for doing the right thing. Even though he was accused of doing the wrong thing. Anybody ever been accused of something you didn't do before? We got a lot of people right now in jail serving long sentences for stuff that they did not do. Because there are DAs and other folks with tainted uh, agendas. Because the, the, the prison business is a business. And so you got a lot of people who are innocent. Hey man, nobody in jail is innocent. No, there are some people in there who are innocent. And there are Christians who are suffering, not because of something they did wrong, but according to 1 Peter, because of something that they had done right. And so he goes to jail. And once again, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. Lord, I got to be real with you. You have a funny way of showing that you with him, brother. Because if you're with me, why'd you let me get framed for rape and thrown into jail? Oh, I hear Paul saying that if anyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. I still think if I live right, right stuff is going to happen to me. You know, if I do right, good things are going to happen. No, sometimes when you do right, bad things happen to you. And God is allowing it, again, to make us look more like Christ. The God who allowed your suffering is the same God who will redeem your suffering in his time. So my man is in jail. And the butler and the baker who serve Pharaoh get thrown in jail. And while they're in there, they say, man, we've been having these dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams of the baker and the butler. The butler gets out, and Joseph says to him, remember me when you get out. The baker ended up losing his life. But when the butler got out, he forgot Joseph. Two full years went by, and the butler is back at work, and Joseph is still in jail. But even in jail, the favor of God is on him, and he's running to jail. Then Pharaoh has some dreams, two dreams that he can't understand. The magicians and the sorcerers cannot interpret the dream. Then the butler says, wait a minute, I know a dude, I know a cat who can interpret dreams, because when I was in the big house two years ago, he interpreted my stuff correctly. I forgot him, I'm sorry about that, but you should call him. <laughs> Pharaoh said, get him quickly. Now we're about to see promotion starting to happen. You see, he had suffered. He started in the pit and then he's in prison. He's going through all of this pain. Unjust suffering, Dr. King said, is redemptive because now he's on a slow, Pharaoh said, no, bring him up here quickly. Now his stuff is about to move so fast. 
He's about to make up for all of that time he suffered in the pit and in the prison. So he comes before Pharaoh, he shaves and he gets cleaned up, and he ends up interpreting Pharaoh's dreams for him. And Pharaoh says, wow. We, uh, matter of fact, Joseph says to Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. And he breaks the dream down. And then he says, you need to find somebody who can handle this thing and run the nation for you. And Pharaoh said, well, since you're the guy that has the vision, I'm going to give you the responsibility. So Joseph ends up becoming the second in command to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. That's promotion. Who saw that coming? And then on top of that, God blessed him with an Egyptian wife named Asenath. So at the age of 30, all of this stuff starts happening in Joseph's life, and this is 13 years of pain that he had endured from the time of being 17 to 30 years old. 13 years of pain, but now he's beginning to walk in his prosperity and in his destiny and in his purpose. He ends up having two sons with Asenath. One is named Manasseh. That's the firstborn. And he named that boy Manasseh, which means... God has made me forget the pain and my father's household. Oh, I wish I had time. First child comes out. He says, Manasseh is your name. Pain. Forget the pain of what happened in my household. So although it had been 13 years and the Lord was with him, he was still dealing with this wound that had happened to him. Because we over-spiritualize this stuff sometimes. And we think that he came out like super saint and he never had a problem again with the pain in his heart. But no, he was dealing with pain as he was walking by faith and trusting God. But when that first child came out, he says, I'm going to forget the pain that came out of my father's house. So he's still thinking about it. And then, boom, Ephraim comes. And because he has the Stockdale Paradox, he is able to have an unwavering faith and be transformed by the pain. So he names Ephraim, which means God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of affliction. Pain and fruit. Ephraim, God has caused me to be fruitful. I've been promoted. <sighs> then the famine breaks out as he had interpreted the dream. And then Jacob, he sends his 10 sons to Egypt to go and get grain because he hears that Egypt has grain because it happens that way because Joseph was able to take the grain from the seven years of feast to help during the seven years of famine. And so the 10 sons go there. And when they come, Joseph is now 39 years old. So it's been 22 years since he's seen his brothers. And I'm going to stop right there because I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. What do you think, baby? I heard one right there. Can I get one? If I get two more, I'll, I'll keep going. Okay, all right. All right, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm going to make it quick. I, I won't elaborate. He's 39 years old. He hasn't seen his brothers in 22 years. So when he sees them, he acts like a stranger to them. Now, this brother is so cold that when he speaks to his brothers, he's speaking to them through an interpreter, which means that they don't know that he knows Hebrew and Aramaic. So he's speaking to them in the Egyptian language so they don't know that it's their brother. But he sees them and recognizes them 22 years ago. Uh, Simeon, your head's still big. I still see Judah. Uh, all of them are right there. Amen. 
he sees them all. And so he acts like he doesn't know them, and he puts them in jail for three days. He said, y'all came here to spy, didn't you? Now, I don't know. I guess he was trying to jab them. Y'all want to know what being thrown in the pit is like? I'm going to put y'all in one. <laughs> so then he brings them out, and he says, all right, go back to where you come from and prove to me you're not lying by bringing back the youngest brother. The youngest brother was Benjamin. And Joseph is wanting to make sure y'all didn't do unto Benjamin what you did to me because he too was born by Rachel in Jacob's old age. So I want to make sure y'all didn't bug out on him. So y'all go back and bring him back. And so they went back to Canaan and then they came back to Egypt. And when Joseph saw Benjamin, he started crying. He couldn't contain himself. Then he sends them back. And he plants a silver cup in Benjamin's bag to say that he stole from Joseph, the Egyptian leader. So as they're going out, uh, they get stopped in their caravan and they say, someone is stolen from Egypt. And the brothers are like, none of us is stolen. And if one of us is stolen, make us a slave. So they search all the bags from the oldest down to the youngest. They don't find the silver cup that was planted. Then they come all the way down to Benjamin's, and there is the silver cup. And the brothers are like, oh, no, what happened? They come back before Joseph. Joseph is mad, and he's like, you're going to have to pay for this. And then Levi, no, Judah steps up. Judah says, please don't let it happen. Let me take his place. Because if the boy doesn't go back home, Jacob will not be able to survive. And so what he does, he puts himself in the way of Benjamin, the perceived sinner in the group. And Joseph is saying, okay, I see you boys have changed over 22 years. Because you were willing to let one go, me. But now you're willing to stand up for one? Something has been happening in you for the 22 years. As much as God has been working in me for the 22 years. And so at that point, Joseph said, I can't do it anymore. He revealed himself to his brothers. And he says, it's me. It's Joseph. And the brothers are looking at him like, what? They're dismayed. They can't believe it. And then the Bible says he brought them close. And some commentators said he brought them close to show that he was circumcised. To prove that he's Hebrew, that he's Jewish, that he is their brother. And he says to them in chapter 45, verses 5, 7, and 8, because the brothers are feeling bad. And he said, you may have sold me, but God sent me. And he put me in this place so that I could save many lives. So what was meant for evil, God has turned around and worked out for good. And in Genesis chapter 50, you can read it when you go home, verses 15 through 21. The brothers fall down as he had dreamed. And, and they reconcile, they apologize, and they ask for him to forgive them. Joseph weeps and they are reconciled because you can't really have reconciliation without somebody asking for forgiveness. You see, people can come together, but if they don't deal with the atrocities that they've committed against each other, you don't truly have reconciliation. So the brother said, forgive us. And Joseph was able to forgive them, and they were reconciled. 
God redeemed the pain in Joseph's life and promoted him. He took Joseph from the pit to the palace, allowing him to save many people, even the ones who hurt him. Do you believe God can do the same thing with the pain in your life? There is a purpose for your pain. The God who allowed the pain is the same God who will redeem the pain for his glory, for your good, for the good of others in his time. But can we wait on him? Knowing that while I'm waiting on him, he's working on me. Out with the bitterness, out with the unforgiveness, out with the victimization, and recognize that your times are in the hands of God and nothing can happen to you without his divine permission, even abuse. Oh God, help me see you. Those of us who fail to see God's hand are the ones who shrivel up and die. But Joseph saw his hand even when he didn't understand why he was suffering. So if you find yourself in a painful pit or in the pangs of a lonely prison, do these things and we'll get out of here. Number one, keep believing. Keep believing that the Lord is with you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He saw and even allowed even the bad that has happened in your life. Because if that was the case, the psalmist would have never written when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. God knows that some parents forsake their kids. This ain't no little nursery rhyme stuff we in. This is the real deal stuff of life. That's why you know the Bible was written by God. Because it doesn't sugarcoat stuff. God knows we're going to suffer. Even at the hands of people who are supposed to protect us. But you keep believing. Secondly, you forgive the people who hurt you. You forgive them. Listen to this. Whether they ask for forgiveness or not. Because I know some people say, I'll never forgive that person for what they did to me. I'll never forgive my boss for embarrassing me in front of everyone. I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive. Well, when you don't forgive, you shut yourself off from the grace that God wants to give to you. So you've got to forgive as you've been forgiven. Whether they ask for it or not, and when you forgive them, stop digging up the past and bringing it back up again. It's like the man who had a cat. He loved his cat. Loved his cat, but his cat died. So he buried the cat. Oh, I miss my cat. But when he buried the cat, he left the tail sticking up out the ground. So in two weeks when he was feeling real sad and missed the cat, he went and grabbed the cat by the tail and pulled it up out of his grave. But by this time, the cat was stanking. He put it back in the ground again, but he left the tail out again. Two weeks came by, he started feeling sorry, wanted to go back and visit the past, and he went and grabbed the cat by the tail and pulled it out the grave, and this time it was even more stank. And he said, you know what, this is not helping because whenever I go back, it's worse than when I first put it in the ground. So this time when I bury the pain, I'm going to bury the tail and everything. You heard about bury the hatchet, man, just bury the tail, let it go. Stop rehearsing it over and over again, what they did to you, because it's not helping you. Stockdale paradox. Yeah, you got hurt, but where's the unwavering faith to persevere and even excel? Use the pain as a platform to get closer to God, because that's why he's ultimately allowing it, so that you may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to know him on the mountaintop, but God wants to know, can you know me when you're hurting? 
But after you forgive others, forgive yourself. You're not perfect. You said some things. You did some things. Forgive yourself. Admit what you've done. And then fourthly, if you need to, apologize to others. Joseph's brothers apologized to him. Who do you need to apologize to? Because sometimes, again, the freedom that God has for you is going to be in your obedience to do the things that are uncomfortable many times. Amen. To humble yourself and say, I'm so sorry for the grudge I held. I'm so sorry for how I hurt you for what I said. And then finally, man, just keep on waiting on God. Keep believing, forgive others, forgive yourself, apologize to others, and wait on God. He will redeem the pain. He's using it ultimately for his glory, for your good, and even for the good of others. 2016 was tough for a lot of us. It's tough for me. Tough interpersonally. But these principles, they're timeless. Joseph was hurt, but he forgave. Joseph's brothers hurt him, but they asked for his forgiveness. They reconciled, and God blessed. Would you stand with me, please, as I close this out? But I want to do something today. As we close in prayer, if this minister to you, if this is something you're like, man, pastor, God sent me today so I could hear this word. I need to hear this word. I want you to come meet me right here. I needed this word. I need the word that I'm preaching. Meet me here at the altar. God, you need to hear this word. Come on. Let's pray. Come on. Come on, y'all. Come on. Somebody you need to forgive, something you need to let go. Somebody hurt you. They threw you in a pit. They threw you in jail. They lied against you. They talked about you. They slandered you. The bitterness has been building. It's been eating you up. But today, you want to get rid of it. You know you hurt somebody. You want to ask God's forgiveness because you may need to make a phone call to somebody. You've been digging up stuff in the past. Man, leave it there. Come on, come on. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Now I got some news for you, okay, as you're coming. Come on. When you go home, read your scriptures on this, y'all. Remember, Joseph had those two sons, right? Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh's name means to forget the pain. I want to forget where I came from. But Ephraim's name meant fruitful in the land of affliction. Manasseh was the oldest. Ephraim was the youngest. When it came time for Jacob to bless his children, Joseph, remember Jacob is old now. He's ready to pass on the blessing. And Joseph brings his two sons. He's got Ephraim, to his right, the youngest. And he's got Manasseh to the left, the oldest. So that Jacob can put his hand on Manasseh, the oldest, the right hand of blessing, and his left hand on the youngest. So he's coming up with forget the pain and fruitfulness. But when Jacob, who can barely see, he old as all get up. Rather than putting his right hand on Manasseh, he puts his right hand on Ephraim. And Joseph is like, Dad, whoa, whoa, you're messing up. And the father says, I know what I'm doing. 
and he puts the blessing on Ephraim. He also has a blessing for Manasseh, but he doesn't have the firstborn's blessing. Ephraim, fruitfulness has that. And as we pray today, your father in 2017 knows your pain. And he knows what you're trying to forget, what you're trying to get over, and what they did to you. And I know you said, I want to forget that. But God says, I got something for you. And it's fruitfulness if you can learn and get through this season that you're in right now. Because your healing is not in your past. It's in your present and in your future. So stop looking back to how they hurt you. And look forward to how he's helping you and what else he's got for you. And he's putting his hand on us right now. Strong Tower, I know you've been through some tough stuff as a church. There's so much fruitfulness. And God is putting his hand on us and he's putting his hands on you. Reach and touch your neighbor. Those of you who are at the altar, come on, touch each other right now. I believe this. Father, we believe in you. We believe in the power of prayer. In Jesus' name. It's not only one of the weapons of our warfare, but it's one of the opportunities for intimacy. Thank you that we could talk to you about the things that are in our heart. And thank you that we could pray to you based on the word of God, which gives us the will of God. Thank you for this amazing story of how we saw how you turned pain into promotion. There was a purpose in it so that many, many lives could be saved from a famine. Lord, every one of us in this room, we have gone through something. People have hurt us, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We have hurt other people intentionally or even unintentionally. And we begin by saying, Lord, would you please forgive us? Forgive us for how we've used our mouths to tear down rather than to build up, to curse rather than to bless. Forgive us for holding grudges and harboring bitterness, even against family members, oh God, even against close friends. Who are we to act like we're better than someone else when elders said we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? We all need your grace. So help us to forgive others who've hurt us. Just as much as we've hurt other people, forgive us, Lord. Forgive the people who've hurt us. Whether they ask for it or not, we release them. And we thank you, Lord, that at this time, you're putting your right hand, your good hand, your strong hand on each person in this church, on this church itself. And you're imparting to us the blessing of fruitfulness in the land of affliction. Ah, that grace superabounds over junk. You are the lily even in the valley. Lord, would you impart the healing that's needed? courage that's needed the wisdom that's needed the healing of relationships that's needed for family curses to be broken because someone stands up and says I love God and I'm willing to do right by him I pray Lord that you would reverse the effects of the curse 
And even last year when this church was going through all kinds of turbulent tests and storms and trials, you kept us. And you've allowed us to be fruitful. Pray for even more fruit. Touch each heart, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Because truth be told, maybe a, a year ago, six months ago, I may not have been able to preach this sermon. But I thank you. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. It's according to the power that is at work within us. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, dominion, majesty, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen. Can you hug five people before you leave? Just hug five people before you leave and let it go.